All right. Hey, guys, this is the Morbid Horror Podcast, and today I'm talking to independent filmmaker Ryan Logston, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Hey, what's up? Uh, my name is Ryan Logston, and uh, I'm the uh, director of Agony and the um, prequel of The Taming of Patty Cakes, and I'm happy to be here. All right, cool. I'm just going to ask you a couple of questions. We can start with the first one and just take it from there. You got it, my brother. And this is a question that I usually ask um, all my guests, and uh, it's pretty, pretty, pretty simple, pretty vague. Um, what got you into horror? Oh, yeah. What got me into horror was um, basically just exposure, exposure. to it. Um, I was really um, into was really a, um, sort of um, at a young uh, age, really into uh, Tales from the Crypt and you know Night of the Living Dead and some of the classic um you know, films that I would see and my uh, family would expose me to, you know what I mean? I saw Carrie at a very young age, um, would rent the Texas Chainsaw Massacre religiously uh, from Blockbuster Video. Um, but it was basically just uh, watching them with my family, and I never really had a, you know, a sensor button on that uh, particular uh, genre of film. Um, mostly my parents were worried about me seeing, like, really um, depressing dramas and things like that, but horror you know they kind of knew yeah. that, I knew that it was uh, fake and completely you know it was an there was an art to it it was um you know how did they achieve this person looking like they died you know what i mean it was more of those sort of things that i was into mm -hmm. you know it's and that's a, you know a universal answer that a lot of people give you know what i mean it's like people who are really into effects you know it'll talk about the magicians behind the you know behind the scenes you know people who are into writing and directing you know we'll talk about like the power of um you know, the of storytelling, you know what I mean? And the power of, you know, performances and getting the right uh, angles and getting the right measures down. And, you know, people are into producing are just like, are usually just happy the of the finished product is polished and ready to show a horror audience. But, you know, it's a universal answer, but still at the same time, you know, I think it's a truism. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, Rip Blockbuster, I remember you cited uh, Carrie, and that was also one of the first movies that my grandma showed me, got me into horror. Almost started it all. Oh, awesome, awesome. Uh, was it the uncensored version? I Yes, I believe so. It was a rental from a Blockbuster video. I couldn't, I can't, I can't remember if it was uh, cut or not at the time. I'd have to have to figure that out. But I just remember it scaring the hell out of me when I was just a little kid. Oh, yeah. That was an awkward watch. I remember my mom coming home um, and seeing me watching that. The first time I watched that, it was on, like, uh, Cinemax, you know, or HBO or whatever it was back in the day, whatever channels we had. And I, I remember just being blown away by the uh, opening scene with all the nudity and, you know what I mean, and the, you know, menstruation scene and the power yeah. of that opening scene and just being like, is this something I should be watching? <laughs> like, right. <laughs> and then at the same time, like, laughing my ass off at certain parts and, you know, really feeling, you know, for these characters. So that's cool that, you know, we have that common bond, brother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, but uh, yeah, my, and my mom walked in and was like, she came home from work and, you know what I mean? I was halfway through Carrie and she just sort of looks at it and she's just like, she didn't make a comment about it until the next day. And she's like, you know, what your son was watching last night at like, you know, one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> like, Carrie, <laughs> oh, only you. <laughs> and, um, to lead it kind of to the second question, um, you started with, uh, you made Agony in 2015, and I was wondering if you had anything before that, and how old were you, or like when you started shooting a film? Oh, that's a, a very uh, interesting question, my brother. Um, the uh, dates are a little bit um, 
uh, hard for me to remember, but I always had a passion for filmmaking. I always wanted to make, um, you know, there was always that, those group of friends that you'd meet up with and be like, oh, I want to make this movie. And then that person's like, oh, I want to make this movie. And, you know, it, after a few conversations, usually, you know, um, fueled by the social lubricant of our times, you know what I mean? And every time since, in, you yeah. know, the dawn of man, alcohol, uh, you know what I mean? Like you kind of like, you kind of just always have this plan to make this movie and it always falls through or, you know, I would say nine out of 10 times it'll fall through. And, mm -hmm. you know, which is a, you know, it's a bummer, but, you know, at the same time you go through with it. And then um, I got into, um, really got into sort of, going to this one horror convention called cinema wasteland and it was kind of like an eye-opener for me to like get to meet um art and alana from ultraviolet magazine my favorite genre writers and to meet fred and shelby and jeremy cruz um from toe tag and their whole you know uh, massive family of fans and you know devotees mm -hmm. um to which i am you know obviously a part of and you know it was just a a really I, I wanted to make something as a letter to um, underground horror, toe tag, cinema wasteland, um, sort of all these big inspirations for me. You know, at the same time, I was heavily into the Beneath the Underground um, mm -hmm. and a lot of the other, you know, a lot of the other Facebook groups, you know what I mean? All that stuff. And eventually going yeah. to, I went to Slaughter in Syracuse in 2014, and that was like a life changing moment getting to sit down and you know, um, you know, talk to Fred Vogel and, you know, Ryan Nicholson and, you know, Marcus Cook and getting to meet Steve Byro and all these mm -hmm. people who are like really, really, you know, sort of people that you knew online, but you never really got to meet face to face with the exception yeah. for me, obviously, of Fred. But I got I got um, some really bad uh, medical vibes at one point, and I decided uh, I was going to make a movie at any cost. And um, I started just with a very simple premise of making this very small little film with a couple key scenes that are still in agony to this day, which are in the finished product. But agony eventually just kept developing and developing, and I it was getting sicker and sicker, and I kind of just wanted to make this. And I'm talking physically sick, not mentally sick. You know, even yeah. though I had a little bit, I had a little bit of that too. You know what I mean? But um, <laughs> yeah. but you know what I mean? And you just kind of like when you get that physically sick, you kind of just like want to make something before, you know, you're, um, you let loose the mortal coil as they say. And, um, but eventually, you know, on that subject to end that subject, everything is, you know, knock on wood, <laughs> knock on wood, everything's going pretty <laughs> cool in that, in that area. But, um, Good. I wanted to make this movie and I made this movie and it turned out to be 66 minutes. And with the help of friends and family, I was inspired by the Poughkeepsie tapes to do a kind of um, female, male, um, you know what I mean, Stockholm Syndrome type story and um, mm -hmm. to tell the story of Maxwell Edison and this character that I've had in my head for a long time. And it was ba basically, you know, I gave out 42 plus copies to friends and never charged anybody for the original copies and never expected to go any further than that. And it has, and I'm uh, eternally grateful for everybody who supported me and, you know, who continues to do so, so uh, you know, good people such as yourself. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I'm a, I, yeah, I was a big fan of agony. I, I think I first heard out, I, I was kind of late to it and uh, I saw the beyond horror documentary and then uh, I saw her interview and I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe there might've been a couple clips from agony in there. 
Oh yeah, I only saw one cut of Ag- I only saw one cut of Not of Agony. Of um, I saw one cut of Beyond Horror, and I know there's multiple cuts of it. You know what I mean? There's the the festival cut. There's you know the the advanced cut. I don't remember mm-hmm. which cut I saw, but I don't think there was any footage from Agony. But there was footage from there was just me talking about Lucifer Valentine's A Perfect Child of Satan, uh, rambling mm-hmm. on about that, and then uh, me telling we were, it was in the segment with. Uh, you know, James and May, um, and a few of Fred and a few other people talking about like the negative aspect of, you know, some of the fan interactions and, you know, the negative aspects of creating this type of, um, extreme art. Yeah, definitely. And, um, we slightly touched on it a little bit ago, but I was going to ask you about, uh, filmmakers who influenced you and also, um, how you cited, um, August Underground, I believe I heard an interview where you cite specifically, I don't know if it's the documentary, the Slaughter in Syracuse documentary uh, from 2015, but you um, quoted uh, Penance and the original in specific, and I was wondering uh, the importance that those movies had on your film Agony, and along with uh, just some filmmakers um, who inspired you to make Agony. Oh, yeah, like in specifics about, from the August Underground, well, I'll just say the whole August Underground trilogy. Um, I've mm-hmm. always said this, uh, I think I said this even uh, in a few of the interviews, I, I, this is one of my uh, token responses. I say that the toe tag are the uh, Sir Edmund Hillary of um, the faux snuff found footage uh, subgenre of horror. You can go no higher. They have climbed Mount Everest. They are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so everybody, I think, who makes a movie in the found footage um, found um, a POV, you know, whatever you want to call found tapes, even whatever label you want to put on it. I think they owe a debt of, um, you know, they owe a debt to Fred and Shelby for that. And it's kind of like George Romero um, starting Night of the Living Dead and, you know, creating this entire, you know, subgenre, subgenre, excuse me, of, uh, of, you know, sort of this use of this format, which was, um, you know, innovative and groundbreaking and genius at the time. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, um, specifically um, August Underground Penance the emotional ties that you get to see revealed in, and the best thing about the August Underground movies is one thing I particularly don't like in found footage movies is when, especially in found footage movies that had a really good run into a certain part is when the camera keeps going and they, they hold onto the camera for way longer than a normal person would in order to keep the story mm-hmm. going where I'd rather see like the camera stay still for a few minutes and have the, the people move off screen and, you hear that. That's the perfection of what Toe Tag are able to do is they can also show you the guts, the gore, the cum, the fucking disgusting shit coming mm-hmm. backwards out of somebody's colon. But at the same time, the the most emotional moment and devastating moment of the entire trilogy is when um, at the end of August Underground Penance, you know, no spoilers because this isn't really a spoiler. Um, you know, there's a movie's scene. been out for long enough. People can't complain. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just say right there, skip ahead 20 seconds. <laughs> yeah. Peter tries to, uh, you know, rape Krusty and she screams well, right before, you know, she screams out, oh, my God, or help me, God, help me, God. And, um, help, you know what I mean? For that woman to cry out for her own false penance and for her own salvation at that moment after seeing Mortem and seeing this insane um, arc of this character, to which she's not the same character at all in Mortem. She's a completely yeah. different crusty, absolutely completely different character um, development in that film. And hearing her say that, and right before that, I forgot there's a moment when 
she's uh, they basically they reference the other movie too which is you know you're just like your brother you're and she goes you're just like your fucking dad and at that moment you see the shattering of this of this union that has been slowly going throughout the entire film and i really wanted mm-hmm. to show that but um obviously i did not have the i, I wanted this my, my focus was more on how these characters met which is something you never saw in the august underground films Mm-hmm. And Poughkeepsie Tapes has that amazing Stockholm Syndrome moment that is just absolutely devastating, which um, I can't even remember the character's name because it's so sad. But um, the, the the tapes that um, they show, um, which are obviously fake, but the tapes that they show are just absolutely um, emotionally um, destroying. They are, they are a rampage mm-hmm. of the uh, senses of the soul as a rather than say the stomach, which is like, you know, a, a, a guinea pig movie would be, which is genius in its own way. Um, which I'd mm-hmm. say is definitely, um, if you notice, there's a huge guinea pig um, devil's experiment in reference in agony, which almost nobody has ever pointed out to me, which is the, when we're torturing the dude with uh, the character, Jim, and with, we're torturing that dude with the headphones, blasting the music into his ears. And he's like, you've been here for five hours. That's that's all you know. Whatever you want to call an homage or a direct ripoff to the guinea yeah. pig, you know what I mean. So I would have to say that. No, I didn't even I didn't pick that up. I'm gonna have to check that out. Yeah. Oh yeah, that was my whole thing too. Nobody has ever picked that up on that. And to me, it was um, me trying to tell a really slow um, tonal story um, with whatever talent I had, um, with the influences that I had, which I just named. And another thing too is that. There's also the love of this horror community that we have that is, you know, that is a huge influence on me. And um, the filmmakers that are in that scene are just so incredible. And, you know, they really keep they keep pushing boundaries that need to be crossed. And um, I don't know. And actually, they not only do they um, fucking, you know, they step over lines, but they fucking cut them up and snort them at the same time. (laughs) Yeah. And um, when you uh, what was the when after your first screening Agony, uh, what was the general reception like to the audience on that film? Oh my God, it was incredible. I can't. It, it, there's no words to describe it. It's you know indescribable. Um, basically, I'll give you the brief the brief rundown. I was almost late. <laughs> I was almost late <laughs> to my own fucking movie screening. I didn't sleep the night before. I was on a floor. Um, of my buddy's hotel room because like I knew I wasn't going to sleep and you know I didn't want to you know take up anybody's space or anything like that you know mm-hmm. so I just my buddy let me crash in his room so I crashed in his room um, and it was just like uh, we had, it was a mad dash to get there I ran in there um, literally they were getting ready to intro- they did the um, the I guess you want to call it like sort of like introduction um, sort of like a, a reflective moment and then they showed a, a um, like a sort of compilation montage, which I still believe is on YouTube. You, it, it has different music to it because they played, I think, to Slayer um, was okay. the original music behind it. Yeah, but it's a clip of all the artists that appeared, and there was like an introduction of "Welcome to Slaughter" and "Syracuse Welcome to Hell," um, and it just absolutely blew me away. And it was, I'm sitting there and I'm watching everybody, and then all of a sudden my name. Um, pops up over, you know, on the screen over the a great image from one of the shorts that played, and I was just like, wow, this is fucking, this is just, it's 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 intense, it's surreal, I can't describe it. And my buddy, 
um, introduced my film and um, I saw, you know, I didn't want to turn around. I, I was there with my friends in the row, but I didn't want to turn around and see anybody else in the audience because I was too afraid to look them. You know what I mean? It was like almost like I was paralyzed. And it's not I was yeah. welcomed by their presence. Don't get me wrong. I was welcomed and I was I was like more of like, you know, I'm gonna look at these people and I'm gonna fucking cry type deal. You know what I mean? Like and I don't yeah. want them to think I'm crying over them. Like so I'm just gonna stare at the screen. And I sat there and um Fred and Shelby Bogle sat behind me and gave me their support during the screening, which is the, one of the greatest uh, memories I have of that, of that moment in time that, um, you know, that cannot be captured and by photographs or by anything, even though it is on a really cool documentary by, uh, I think his name is Michael Fitzgerald. I'm sorry if I'm uh, saying his name wrong, but he did the slaughter in Syracuse documentaries. They're really cool. You should pick them up. Especially the second one, as long as hell. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah. Um, and then afterwards, they um, brought me up to talk a little bit, and I just I couldn't even really talk. I just thanked Nick and Jason for allowing me to open Slaughter in Syracuse. And you got to understand, for me, um, I was on a bill with um, Marcus Cook, who had almost died. He was bringing Bloodshock to the big screen, a, a work a work version, a work you know what I mean, a temp version um, that mm. he was working on. Um, he had almost died previously. Jason, the, the promoter, had almost died recently uh, before that from health issues. Um, we we did a pre-party with American Guinea Pig and um, her uh, was that uh, Revenge is her middle name. And then on the bill that I was on was, you know, these are some of the people, you know, Michael Maggot, Lucifer Valentine, Eric Stanzi, Marcus Cook. I mean, these are, you know, some of the James Bell and Maybell, you know what I mean? I'm forgetting mm -hmm. other people, but you know, it, you can't really leave a screening and with a, you know, an audience that, you know, really supports you and go out there and then to get to spend the rest of the day. You can't, you know, you can't really describe that there. It is unbelievable. It's a feeling. It's um, a moment in time. Oh, and my brother and sister-in-law came up. She's like, you know, not into the scene at all, but they came up to support me. So mm -hmm. I, you know, and today's their anniversary. So happy, happy anniversary guys. Oh yeah. Happy anniversary. <laughs> right on brother. Right on. So I'm going to have to say that, you know, there, if I did sum it up uh, my rambling in one word, I would say it was cathartic. Okay. It's uh yeah, it sounds like um I wish I was there. I was a tad before I got into the more extreme stuff. Oh yeah, dude, it was uh, like, dude, pick up the documentaries, man. At some point, they're dirt cheap. You know what I mean? At least they were at the time when I yeah uh, yeah well, I was given one, but the other ones were pretty dirt um, cheap that I picked up. That is, it was a moment in time that was just uh, absolutely perfect. And, you know, hopefully at some point, you know, other people start to put on stuff like that too. Um, or Slaughter in Syracuse comes back. I don't know if it's coming back or anything. I'm just saying, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. general, making a general statement. But yeah, that was a, a very special moment in time. That was like kind of like, in my opinion, sort of like the crest. Every five years, five to six to seven years, there's, I think, a, a rise and fall in sort of extreme cinema. Um, because you kind of yeah. have to shock the living shit, you know what I mean? All the dead fish rise to the top from the electric shock in the water. And then, you know, the ones that survive, you know what I mean? It takes them a while to mature enough. And then you got to shock the living shit out of them again. It's kind of like <laughs> the process of going, you know, you know, you got to clear out, you know what I mean? In the very, and in, mm -hmm. you know, in, in the times we're living in, that's a very 
weird analogy to make, especially when you're talking about, you know, mass populations, you know, being affected. But at the same time, mm -hmm. I'm talking about in a smaller sort of um, very minuscule way, um, our little scene is he kind of there's a lot of people who kind of like jump on, you know what I mean? Because of the Serbian film, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And yeah. they're like, what's a Serbian film? And once you watch one video on a Serbian film, they almost always mention, you know, August Underground or they almost mention this, that, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Different things, Life and Death of a Porno Gang you look up those films and you know the trickle down effect happens and you kind of have to wait for the next real big you know sock in the stomach you know to sort of um you know reignite the uh, passions of a lot of people but then again that same you know a couple thousand people that are strong into that never leave you know what i mean the fans don't yeah. go away and that's what really keeps this uh pumping yeah definitely and um with agony um given that you're working on a limited budget um was there some problems you ran into where there's maybe scenes that you wanted to shoot but maybe you had to scrap it or is there some stuff that you like stuff that you maybe would have liked to include but maybe we're just a little bit out of your reach at the time oh yeah dude there's always stuff like that that pops up you know what i mean like Especially, you know, just speaking monetarily, you know what I mean? There was a, definitely a, um, there was a wine budget, even though I don't drink, I rarely drink. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? There, we had a wine budget, you know what I mean? Like, so that always, you have to cough up the cash for that, you know what I mean? But, you know, my actors were mm -hmm. awesome, you know. They're, I'm never going to yeah. complain at all about any of my actors um, that were in the movie. But, yeah, there was effects that didn't work, um, scenes that went on way, way longer, um, then I, and I cut them shorter, um, because an effect didn't work. I'll give you an example. Um, the, I don't know if I've ever told anybody this, but there, the, there's one scene, um, what went on really long was the, um, after the, uh, headphone scene and I walk out, um, and I see, uh, the character of S, um, or Sarah, whichever one you want to call her, the character S or Sarah, whichever is fine by me. I don't care. Um, yeah. but you see her and she just kind of just is standing there and I say, well, you know, say what's wrong. And then it cuts that scene went on longer. And, um, it was a, um, a beautiful moment. Um, it just went on too long. And I was like, Oh, okay. And I started being like, why is this going on so long? And then I started to realize that the, um, it was out of frame and you could see, um, a lot of our clothes and stuff like that in the background uh, and the blood and the fake rags and like different gloves that we used and stuff like that. And, the pro and I'm like, okay, well, I fucked that one up. <laughs> it was just like, a quick, it went on, I would say a good three minutes. You know what I mean? After that, like it was just mm -hmm. a long scene. So I cut it, I think, at the right moment. Um, but um, that was just, a, you know, a waste of, you know, there was just supposed to be like a, a different moment. You know, I was supposed to use that at a different time. I was like, well, I fucked that up. But no, especially to, you know, the limitations, there were always problems, um, you know, scenes that I had to cut short or scenes that um, I had to scrap uh, due to the fact that like, you know, it was just stuff that like, the lighting didn't work it didn't look cool enough like i went for mm -hmm. images i went for images that i thought were cool and told us you know stitch the story together the best i could um with what i had but the coolest thing you know and uh, you know for anything dealing with difficulties or limitations i always say to filmmakers i'm like you know think about it this way um 
the way George Romero's producer would put it to him, you know, it's like, know your limitations, know the, 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 the parameters of the box that you're going to be working in. But once you're inside that box, you can do whatever the hell you want to do. And people are like, oh, I, I can't shoot a movie. I'm like, do you live in a house? Do you own your own house? And they're like, well, yeah, I rent. I'm like, you can shoot a movie in there. Shoot a short film. Mm-hmm. Shoot yeah. Something like Guinea Pig Sacrifice. You know what I mean? Which I saw mm-hmm. before it was even known as uh, Guinea Pig, you know, the American Guinea Pig. But like, shoot a movie. You could shoot a movie like that in your apartment and try to turn out pretty goddamn good. You know what I mean? That's what I said. Yeah, right definitely. Know the, know the parameters. Yeah, that's another thing that, um, when I was talking to Brian Paul and he touched on too, was, uh, you know, work with what you got, but don't hold back, you know, make it as grandiose as possible and, you know, make something out of it, add to it, make it a big story. Oh yeah. Tell some, tell, add your own flavor to it too, man. You know, yeah. a lot of people, a lot of people say one of the greatest compliments I have is that people say it's not that agony is not a copy and paste of August underground. And I'm like, mm-hmm. You know, I kind of, you know, in certain scenes, I can say, you know, I can maybe argue and pick out where August Underground came into it or different parts of the movies. And they like, well, it's, you know, very different because it doesn't focus in on the gore, you know, yeah. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it doesn't do this. And, you know, mm-hmm. knowing your limitations, you know, and knowing what you can, you know, you really play on more of the um, what is seen off screen and more of um, I'll give an example like literally um people have come up to come up to me and said that the the needle scene you know the, no mm. spoilers but the needle scene that everybody talks about in agony you know literally you know keeps them you know going like that keeps them moving you know what i mean keeps them yeah. keeps them shaking a little bit after they see that and they're like fuck because that's like a real people do that shit you know what i mean i know it's an urban legend you know that you know most people you know with the razor blades and the you know the apples and stuff like that at Halloween, mm-hmm. but like, you know, there is literally people who have like left AIDS needles places. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's people who have left, you know, hep things on uh, whatever, and people who have literally left things on the boardwalk and left this, this, that, and the other thing. Like, it's you know, and a fact of life. And what would happen if one of those fucked up people? No, not telling how the scene goes or anything like that. But what would happen if one of those mm-hmm. fucked up people read one of those reports? <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? Ooh, and it's yeah, and <laughs> that was also I was gonna jump to that. And like I said, we can keep that as spoiler free as possible because yeah, that is a definitely a shocking scene. And um, that's another thing I appreciated was uh, the fact that you're making a, that you were able to make it a very extreme film. And I, people also um, commonly correlate extreme with uh, you know buckets of gore. But that was like that was um the needle scene is a, a very very effective scene and even I you know th- there's a, like I said I'm not gonna give anything away but there's a a part in that scene where I was literally you know at my TV just going no 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah dude yeah that's the uh, one of the best reactions that I got was somebody definitely I know exactly the part you're talking about and somebody gasped at Slaughter and Syracuse during that part <laughs> and it wasn't somebody I paid to do that but they just went. <gasps> <laughs> and i was like Yo, that's what you want to hear him. i mean i was in peril now this is all you know hindsight looking back on it but at the time i was paralyzed in fear but that was definitely something i look you know i look back and like i my eyes you know sort of sort of close and i have that you know little gaze and i'm just like hell yeah <laughs> <laughs> best compliment <laughs> and um i was wondering if you could uh 
explain a little bit of uh, Maxwell Edison's backstory and him as a character and who he is. Oh, Maxwell Edison. Well, first of all, he's based off of um, the actual name is based off of a Beatles song off of Abbey Road called Maxwell Silver Hammer. Um, no, hopefully no, uh, whatchamacallit, nobody from that organization <laughs> from Apple ever gets, <laughs> gets a hold of that information. <laughs> <laughs> like, fuck you, Paul. No, <laughs> nah, man. Well, it was, a, you know, I love the Beatles and um, I always love that name. So I, I named him Maxwell Edison um, and Maxwell Edison. um has a horrible, horrible, horrible backstory, which is told in the Taming of Patty Cakes. And the Taming of Patty Cakes um, is the short film, which is the prequel. And I don't, it's not pure found evidence as um, Agony is. I don't call it uh, mm. Agony found evidence. Um, I mean, I do call it found evidence. I don't call it found footage. I don't call it POV. Mm. Um, I call um, it found evidence. It is definitely the um i think it's a tag that the genre did not have or at least that i saw much um mm-hmm. but you know um uh wait was it where was i going with that <laughs> i totally forgot the question <laughs> talking about the, the little bit of uh, maxwell's backstory oh yeah his backstory jeez yeah correct. so um <laughs> maxwell's backstory was um and i wanted to keep this as spoiler free as possible because one of the um topics of the taming of patty cakes which is the prequel is slowly revealing his backstory and what he was but let's just say that he was the first um kitty porn star on the internet and he got um through a horrible chain of tragic events that are explained in patty cakes he was adopted by a um very bad person and this very bad person um, knew how to work the dark web and was um, a big influence in sort of marketing and actually producing and adding more of a production value to these horrible, horrible, disgusting um, films that originated in the Philippines and a lot of different areas and now are infesting America. Mm-hmm. And Maxwell um, was subject to these movies and his um, Jax actually is um, I never really say it's his sister, um, but I always kind of looked at it as her being kind of like an adopted sister. She was kind of in the house, too, like they were taking in all these adopted kids. Yeah. And sort of exposing them to this this horrible, horrible, you know, world of, um, you know, that. A big influence was the watching the opening of the butterfly effect back in the day and seeing, you know, Jesus Christ, like, you know, this is just fucked up. You know what I mean? I can't even yeah. I'm like this shit. And um, eventually the um, he was freed from that and he um, sort of made a bond with his um, adopted sister. Um, I will just say, you know, adopted sister. And they mm-hmm. kind of always had this sort of. Um, darkness about them uh you know spun from the uh webs of this sort of backstory um that is steeped in child pornography and the horrifying world that is um therein which exists which is sad to say but it does exist but maxwell edison is the first um kitty porn star um and his name was patty cakes okay so yeah that would Okay, I see. Then that would be the how you kind of wrote um, it influenced the short for taming a patty cake. 
cakes because I think that I saw the Taming of Patty cakes um, before I saw Agony, and I'm actually gonna go back and revisit them both, probably just in a row, actually. Oh no, that's yeah. I was gonna say that some people have been doing that, um, and I never, like I said too, the Patty cakes is kind of like I look at it as kind of being like um, a snuff fever dream. That's how I describe it. It's um, mm-hmm. you know some of it seems it's the, definitely the tapes you know people recording but a lot of it is very dreamlike there's a lot of there's me fucking around with an editing machine for hours upon hours trying to learn how to edit you know and failing miserably but still some people like the way it's cut um, yeah but yeah i just i really wanted to make like you were watching a snuff film in your own um you know with a 104 degree f- fever you know what i mean um while sleeping you know <laughs> at the same time that was kind of my goal with that um, and a lot of people um, liked it. Some people, everybody who's seen the movie so far has said nothing but really positive things, except for the, uh, I don't know if you got time, but I can tell you a quick story about the uh, premiere. Yeah, go for it. I got time. Oh, hell yeah, dude. Well, that the premiere, um, I it was had the honor of premiering at uh, Severed. Uh, Severed is this awesome event that um used to happen at least once a year in Stroudsburg at the Sherman Theater, this awesome, you know, cool little Mm -hmm. um, local theater um, that my buddy Earl used to throw on. And um, they also had the uh, VHS Museum, the Museum of VHS that used to uh, sort of um, pop up there and be, uh, they give awesome displays. They used to have a film night and, you know, award a prize and everything like that. And my film mm-hmm. was uh, the short film Taming of Patty Cakes was given the honor of um, showing there. And um, it showed second. And that's, I think, the best spot to have in a film festival is actually the second film. You know, if it's a, you know, a mm-hmm. back-to-back sort of short block. Um, and I remember um, going in there. And I was on the bill with, a, you know, my buddy Matt and a good a Jesse Seitz was, I believe, on the uh, bill, too, her short. OK. Um, you know, all good work. And um, my buddy Monty, I think, was on the bill, too. And I think he ended up winning. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. But I think he ended up winning. But anyway, uh, things got kind of hazy after one at one point. <laughs> but I remember sitting there in, in this awesome theater and, you know, um, had a great day. And it was it was a weird day, but it was still a great day and fun. And um, I remember, you know, the the film festival began and the first film showed people clapped for the intro. And then as it said, you're at the end, they clapped. My movie starts and then it ends and dead fucking silence (laughs) (laughs) and then um i was like okay and then the next movie begins and then it ends they basically every and they applaud every single film i sat there in the theater for got applauded except for my movie and i was like fuck and i felt so bad i was like dude like it was that bad that i take you know you know did i even you know should i have even been on the bill you know all this other stuff i felt more like not you know i was more like Jesus Christ, I made the worst movie ever made. You know, this is terrible. And, um, you know, it's probably just an amateur hour compared to all this other stuff. And I'm an embarrassment. You know, there's all this self-deprecating, you know, nonsense going through your head, not outward outward aggression or outward, you know, projection towards anybody involved. And I'm just like, Mm -hmm. fuck, nobody, you know, I was just like, what the hell happened? And even I went there and my buddy Craig was outside. And um, he kind of came up to me and he was like, hey, man, I really like the film. He's like, why didn't anybody applaud for it? 
And like, I was like, uh, I don't know, dude. I was like, can, you know, can you tell me? And, you know, I appreciate him being there and him supporting me. That was awesome. Don't get me wrong. Like mm-hmm. everything like that. But I was like, fuck, I was just like, I was like, it literally was like, I don't think I had. Um, and then even locally, I showed um, a screener of it to somebody and they never got back to me to showcase it locally. They were like, yeah, they saw it. They watched it. They were like, um, yeah, we'll talk to you about it. And they never got back to me after multiple. They were just, I was just like, and after a while, like, I don't really even give a shit. It's kind of like yeah. my buddy who uh, ran the event, Earl, he told me that, uh, you know, you just broke the audience. And he said, that's something to be proud of. And I take that, uh, you know, as like one of the greatest compliments as I could possibly ever get. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if, yeah, if you're making an extreme, you know, if the, the subject material makes people uncomfortable where they <laughs> don't even want to clap, I mean, yeah, yeah, for the genre, I mean, that that is a compliment. Oh, yeah, high, high compliment, too. And um, will we see uh, Maxwell Edison again in the future? Oh, possibly. A lot of people, uh, I'm sort of um, open to play the character in a, somebody else's movie. Okay. It's- yeah, somebody out like especially too if I'm creating something, because um, I have a few different projects going on um, at the moment. Like Maxwell, you know, to me it's like I would like to um, sort of co-create something or you know do something that's mm-hmm. completely um, unexpected. Um, but yeah, Maxwell, I was thinking too though, like if somebody was doing like a short film, you know, if somebody wanted to do like another sh- extreme short film compilation, Maxwell Edison could come back. Is it mm. going to be a feature-length film? Probably not. It would probably be another short um, film, but I think I would definitely sh- stick to the found evidence rather than editing it. I think I wanted, uh, if I was going to go back into the world, I think I was going to, ha- I'm going to have to do it like the style of, um, you know, the found evidence style with the burn mm-hmm. <laughs> and everything and kind of tell the ending because I have the ending and I know um, how the the evidence burn gets on these tapes you know what i mean like, okay I that ending, so i want to tell that ending at some point so if it was like a short film compilation i think i would do that and really throw it all into you know this final chapter um but at the mm-hmm. end at the end because i did call it the maxwell edison chapters that's the um you know kind of yeah. like the um the abbreviated uh the not the abbreviated but the um I don't even know what to say. It's a prefix, we'll call it, to it of, of the title of uh, The Taming of Patty Cakes. It's the Maxwell Edison chapters. And I always intended to do the second one. But is it number one on the list right now? It's more of like all about writing for me right now. But hell, it's mm-hmm. on the list. <laughs> and um, you got uh, involved with working with Totag and Fred Vogel with his film, uh, The Final Interview. And how did that come about? Oh, deep friendship. I'm dear friends with Fred. Okay, awesome. And oh, yeah, uh, is that project going good? Oh, uh, whatchamacallit? Well, yeah, the project is um, the last I've heard. And this is, what is this? We shot the movie in 2016. And I think in two, I may be wrong about that. Um, 2017. And I think we had the premiere in 2018, which was the, you know, the fan premiere the, the fan and um people who was like who were working on the film the uh, mm-hmm. pittsburgh premiere let's just say it's the pittsburgh premiere sorry i got my words stumbled up there a little bit 
Um, but Fred um, is doing great. He's always working on different projects. He just uh, was working on um, um, what's the thing? Uh, I'm not okay with this for Netflix. I believe he was the set decorator, or set dresser. I'm not 100 percent sure. He was talking about that online. Okay. Um, but yeah. It's always about uh, showing, as of right now, showing the movie and getting a Blu-ray release. So he's always about showing the final interview to everybody. And, um, yeah, I worked on that. I was the key production assistant on the um, shoot. I was on, I think, eight of the ten days. I want to say I was, yeah, eight of the ten days. And, yeah, okay, that was an intense, crazy-ass shoot, but uh, rewarding. And I've only actually seen the final interview once. I saw it at the premiere, and I can't wait to see it at a bunch more film festivals. And hopefully once this um, the whole disease thing goes away and, you know, get some drive-ins going, get the audience starting to see more of the final interview. Awesome, yeah. I'm, I'm uh, excited to check it out. I kind of noticed um, that maybe he's maybe taking a step back, small step back from his prior work and working with Extreme Horror. Oh, well, you know, Fred, he's he's constantly changing. I think Fred, if somebody gave him the opportunity, I think Fred would make, you know, the the greatest titty comedy of all time. You yeah. know, 1980s titty comedy, you know what I mean? He's always changing. He's always looking mm-hmm. to evolve. But, you know, it's toe tag. You know what I mean? They're, you know, they're, um, what do they call that? They're, um, the roots are in, um, you know, the future of horror is bright fucking red. You know what I mean? They got Jeremy yeah. Cruz out on the West Coast, you know working mm-hmm. with Byro right now, you know, and, you know, you got one of the, you know, most talented, well, Cook too, you know what I mean? Most talented effects artists working together, you know, mm-hmm. it's, you know, at some point, um, you know, the blood's going to spill again, I'm telling you. And um, I definitely think that um, even for Fred too, I think there's more people, there's more room in the organization for people to direct. I think, um, especially too with um you know shelby shelby's one of the finest directors i don't know if you've ever seen her short um stay it is one of the oh my god i um helped host a little redson tower screening that was locally uh in my area of northeastern pennsylvania and i insisted that mm-hmm. stay uh show beforehand uh before the redson tower like i i love that film it is you know one of the um really awesome entries into the collective series which were, um, you know, a series of short films released a long time ago. Um, not a long time ago, about, you know, three, four, five years ago um, by Jab Pictures. Yeah. And um, they were, Stay was, you know, really awesome. So I think there's room for, you know, more, you know, Jeremy to direct, which he is directing with Byro. I think there's room for, you know, Shelby to direct. I think, you know, Fred, um, you know, could really bring the sickness, you know, toe tag mm. um, effects can go anywhere. You know, toe tag could get, yeah. you know, land the next big um you know netflix show and you know turn the fucking entire um country onto some really deep shit you know or yeah um, streaming platforms right now the future is wide open but especially i don't think there is a necessarily a turn away from extreme horror if there is um more uh of a sort of opening to all possibilities and there are elements, okay. like I said, there's elements in the final interview that are extreme. You know, mm-hmm. there are really elements that I think that a, a novice audience, you know, if I showed this to my mom, 
you know what I mean? Who the most extreme horror film she's ever seen that she can remember is Last House on the Left. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? She'd probably look at it and be like, even oh, you know what I mean? She's more like, oh, that's something that 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 scene is something that you know belongs in the Silence of the Lambs. You know, yeah. you know what I mean? That's the type of like, you know, kind of scene that um, the little extremities that you get to see in the final interview. Okay, yeah, definitely looking forward to getting around and checking that one out. And um, your film Agony is currently out of print, and I was wondering if there's ever you think that'll ever get a re-release in the future. Oh, I'm always opening. To, I'm always open to somebody. I actually want to have a release and put the Tammy Patty cakes on it. I think that'd be a really cool um, thing to do. The last, um, unfortunately, the last time it was available for purchase, um, uh, my distributor had a personal tragedy. My distributor, uh, Bob, is one of the NPS Films videos. Are, he's one of the stand-up guys in our scene. I think Bob is one of the um, all-time nice dudes and really talented folks that are out there. I support him, but he had some personal issues going on and had to shut down the company. Um, So, you know, the, the addition, um, I had two additions that came out through that company for, you know, Blu-ray R, whatever they call it, Blu-ray R, you know what I mean? I don't know exactly. The not like dual layered Blu-rays or whatever like that, you know, the factory made these are, you know, he makes them hand, you know, handmade ones. And um, they're really, you know, professional Blu-rays, amazing. His, his actual work, the work he puts into it is phenomenal. And um, the Black Edition sold out in like it, it same short time. I put up a one post on Facebook saying the Black Editions are, you know, one through 20. I kept two of them for my archive. Mm-hmm. And um, they, the rest of them, I was like, just personally message me. And I had to turn people away. And I even had to, I told one person that they did get it and then they didn't get one of them. I felt like a bastard about it. I was like, oh shit, you know what I mean? But they were cool about it, you know? Um, Yeah. But it was um, a really awesome pre-release. And then he did the uh, white case edition, which, you know, was met with, you know, people really seemed to dig that and it was selling and, you know, it just sucks that this had to happen. And then of course, obviously with, um, you know, COVID-19 destroying, you know, pretty much everybody's plans to do anything else. So, you know, it, I yeah. mean, it's still out there. If you hunt for it, you know, it's a hunter. You got to hunt for it too, which is actually something I kind of dig about it as I'm kind of like, yeah, mm-hmm. you got to hunt for my movie. I'm like, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Especially a film like that, where it's like a found, uh, found, found evidence film just to have a few of them floating out there. Oh, hell yeah, man. Hell yeah. And also I was wondering if you got any, any uh like due to some of the extreme subjects material and in, in agony and in your short if anyone's ever given you like a hard time or tried threatening you or anything among those lines oh shit i was gonna say uh, for threats or anything like that i would say nothing physical there's nothing actually mm. i guess would say threatening about it um the majority of like the problems that I've ever had with the screenings of it would be kind of like, um, I do remember, um, there was a very, I had a local screening, uh, my buddy Bobby's, uh, film festival, um, the NEPA, um, horror, um, film festival. And, um, I do remember and, uh, afterwards getting, uh, I don't think I, this is another thing. I, I'm not very public person about like anything negative or anything, whatever. I rarely ever yeah. talk about that, but I do remember getting some 
um, kind of like I messaged some people and I was just like, hey, did you, you know, I, I was talking to you before the film. Did you like my movie? Like they were afterwards, like after, because I didn't get to talk to anybody after the screening of my movie. Yeah, and there was definitely like nobody was responding, and so I'm like, okay, cool, maybe it's just because we're not friends on Facebook and all this other shit. And then like mm. I heard through the grapevine later that they were like, oh yeah, this is the biggest piece of shit I've ever seen. Why is this showing? You know, blah blah blah. It's gross. It's disgusting. Different things like that. You know what I mean? Like, mm. and then um, later on when I tried to show patty cakes at a local which would be like the size of a screening room about the size of a coffee house which is whatever i'll show it anywhere but mm. uh, you know you have to you go get your thing booked in advance because you know it's a very small little screening room um they definitely remembered that screening and they were not gonna let me in there um which is fine you know whatever it's cool and yeah it's more of a um i think it's more of a uh, distancing people tend to distance themselves when they've only seen my work. And then there's other people who have met me and have known me for years and then see the movie. And they're like, people in the horror community are, are like, like literally one of my first reviews was like, you know, I cannot, I cannot imagine Ryan making something so grim and, de- you know, <laughs> grim and depressing. You know what I mean? They're grim and demented. Sorry. Grim, yeah. Grim and demented. I'm like, Jesus, you know what I mean? That's awesome. You know what I mean? It's like people, you know, they, they're able to differentiate between the character that I play. Um, so not like anything threatening, but it's definitely, a, there's been a distancing. And, you know, whether or not you mm-hmm. think my movie is a piece of shit, hell yeah, dude, you can say that to my face. You know what I mean? Like, it's mm-hmm. subjective whether or not you like a movie. No, but there's no steadfast rules to liking a movie. You yeah. Know I mean? There really yeah. isn't. And, you know, you dig what you dig and you don't eat what you don't, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that you said that too, because uh, some of the people who I either met or talked to who make um, you know very very extreme horror films are you know some of the nicest and uh, most passive dudes you'll ever meet in your life. Just kind of kind of funny how that works, because a lot of people would uh, assume the opposite. Oh yeah, we definitely we get a lot of our um, whatever darkness we have out on screen, and once you get it out on screen. And, you know, through a safe way, you know, through a safe art, you know, through painting, through whatever it is, music, through whatever it is. As long as you don't take that, you know, out on anybody else and definitely not on yourself, you know, because, you know, sometimes artists like to turn their pain inside. You know, that's a truism. But, yeah, some Mm -hmm. of these are so nice. Definitely. Just just the chillest people in the entire world. I mean, literally, you know, people have told me for years, you know, uh, that Lucifer Valentine is, you know, one of those fucked up people ever. He's been never been nothing, but he's never been anything but nice to me. Yeah. Super cool, super chill. Always answered all my questions as a fanboy I ever had. You know, has always been the nicest dude in the entire world. So I can't say anything bad about him. You know, and that's yeah. like the most extreme case. And I've heard people say, I regret when I, before I met Fred in 2012, which was, I mean, Jesus, eight years ago, before I met Fred in 2012, I heard he was the sickest person I've ever, that ever could live. You know what I mean? You look at this yeah. guy, like he's all, he's like, he's going to look at him. He's a punk rocker. He's, you know, this, that, and the other thing. It's like, they make these disgusting movies. That you shouldn't even go meet them at a mm. convention. They're partiers. I was like, oh yeah, they're partiers still, but they're the chillest people in the entire world. You know what I mean? I was yeah. Doing, my first time I met him, I was doing, I bought toe tag shot glasses and we were doing toe tag slime ball shots. Shelby made these slime ball drinks and we were doing shots with them. And it was just amazing. You know, so oh, they yeah. Some of them are some chill motherfuckers. 
Yeah, definitely. And there was recently the, like we, we touched on earlier, the Beyond Horror documentary that uh, Marcus Cook and Jesse Seitz did. And I was wondering how you got involved with that and how that process was. Because I thought that was, um, I've never, you know, it's kind of, it really is kind of the first of its kind to have a documentary on, on films of that nature and more of the, of the underground. And I, I really enjoyed it. And yeah, I was just wondering how you got involved in that project. I've known Marcus for years. Um, I've known Marcus since uh, the first slaughter in Syracuse. So that had been about 2014, and he made the announcement that he was uh, looking for interviews for a documentary and that he was going to be interviewing some key people. And Mm -hmm. uh, he was kind enough to um, ask if I wanted to be interviewed. And we kept missing each other for some reason. I do remember that at one point we were missing each other or we didn't run into each other, but then it eventually just hooked up and, you know, went into the uh, room. I took my buddy Jason with me. Um, and cause he was like really into like finding out like what the hell, you know, the documentary was about and, you know, you know, hearing me ramble on apparently, you know, I love him for it. Um, yeah. but uh, yeah, that's how I got involved. He just asked me and I've known Marcus for, um, you know, was it six years now? Yeah, so, yeah, six years, 2014. Probably longer online. I mean, longer online, but, you know, actually meeting the dude. And yeah. Like, yeah, dude, what's up? Yeah. Awesome. And um, just got uh, one more for you here. If there's anyone maybe listening who is not um, too knowledgeable about maybe extreme or underground horror, uh, what do you think, like, what would your list of, uh, like, the essential underground horror films be? Oh, my brother, great question. Great question. Well, I'm, I'm going to bust it out and say, well, I usually give my top three right off the bat. And then, you know, I'm going to ramble off a bunch of ones after that, um, mm-hmm. you know, that I think are essential. But the top three, which I think are the best, the ones that are the, the holy trinity that you should watch, is I think if it's somebody who's not, who's sort of into horror and kind of like, you know, because there's three different types of people I think you, you show these movies to. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to get somebody into, like, extreme horror, show them Scott Shermer's Found. Um, oh, Scott yeah. Shermer's That's a great movie. Oh, yeah. Like, that will, they will sit there and be like, what is extreme about this? What is horror about this? Okay, I get it. It's sad. It's this. It's drama. Once you get to the the climax of that movie... It is so fucking disturbing. It, it, it's a masterwork. I think it's one of the, I honestly mm-hmm. think it's one of the top um, American films to come out in the last, say, 10 years or so. I remember being blown away by that, um, seeing Found. And, you know, I told the director, I said, I put that on par with, like, There Will Be Blood, you know, because I do five-year lists every th- single time. And, you yeah. know what I mean? I really think Found is, is a brilliant, brilliant story to be that was told. And to be truthful, you know what I mean? I think that um, that's a great one, the essential one that you need to show people. And that's almost a great one to put people in categories that are like sort of into horror that they don't realize like what they're going to watch. Because you can't get, you can't really get more extreme than how, where that film takes you. Um, yeah. And the, art, and the way it's shown. Then you got to go straight for the jugular, which is the August Underground people. The, you got August Underground as well. That's it's found. Then it, you know you got August Underground. I mean, absolutely gut punching. This is sick. It's the one that the people will will either stop watching after 15 minutes. They will watch it and be uh, puked already. You know, by the middle of the movie, 
um, and not mm-hmm. watch it anymore. Then you got the people who watch it all the way through, gate, you know, with their mouth dropped open and stunned silence or bored to death. Cause I've had some people saying it's the most boring thing they've ever seen. And, um, which is fine. That's their opinion. And I think it's a masterpiece and, and you really got to get that. Like, um, I guess you want to say like that the real big fucking knockout punch, um, would be August underground. That's the gut punch, you know, the knockout punch, the one that brings you to your knees. Um, yeah. And then if you re and then my third film that I always say is a perfect child, Lucifer Valentine's a perfect child of Satan. Um, because that movie is not only captures the beauty of, um, say Scott Shermer's found, um, and it also captures the realness of an August underground, but it also creates a complete different language, which is, you know, your typical styles of Lucifer Valentine is weaving a, you know, backwards guitar, forwards guitar, um, over dialogue and, you know, cutting the scenes really quick and reversing the scenes and, um, you know, and I get absolute chills when I hear, you know, Chelsea Chainsaw, I'm going to fuck up the line, but when she's like, this is a video diary of me getting ready to meet who I think is, who is, you know, who, no, who I think is going to be, but who is the man of my fucking dreams. Like when she says that line, I, I still to this day, like it chills every single time because the music kicks in. And then like, every time I watch it with somebody, they just immediately start to move forward and move closer mm-hmm. to the screen. And I'm like, so that would be the, you know, the A, B's and C's of the alphabet of um, extreme horror. And, you know, to give some definitely honorable mentions, you got to throw, you got to throw the guinea pig films up there. I'm just going to throw any of them out there. I'm going to be like, you know, usually those are the, you know, the real good, you know, that's the seedy shit. That's the, usually the stuff that people get started on. Um, Oh yeah. Flower, flesh and blood for sure. Oh God. Yeah. All the, even the unearth, the, a lot of the original unearth releases, you know, your cannibals, you know what I mean? Yeah. The, um, aftermath, like a lot of that stuff is the, you know, the map of extreme horror, you know, the, the creme de la creme, what you have to say are your necessities in extreme horror. Mm-hmm. And then you have your, 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 your Berkowitz, you know, you know what I mean? You got to have some Jurg in there. Um, but you know, for my answer to your, you know, what are the necessities is found August underground and a perfect childs of Satan, because I think that they represent the extreme horror scene, the best. Um, I think they are the strongest entries. Um, and I'm kind of sticking towards, you know, American entries right now, you know, North American entries right now. Um, but like, that's definitely would be the top three for me, brother. Yeah. Awesome. Definitely. And just to go back a little bit, you were talking about August underground and how some people will start to kind of t- turn it off. And I think there's like that first 15 minutes and after that, you either make it through and, uh, you know, continue on or you, or you tap out. I, I've recommended the first August underground to, to many people. And I noticed with some people, they'll, you know, they'll get past that first, you know, the first scene in the basement and then they just can't take it anymore. Oh no, especially to the, it's, you know, it really gets a lot of people. I think Fred mentions it on the audio commentary. I mean, it's been five years since I probably listened to the audio commentary, but um, I think he mentions in the audio commentary that the um, shit smearing in the nipple is oh, the yeah. one that's like the walkout. That's like the one where they're like, cause that's like the part that you really, really, really like, okay, the first scene gets you. 
then they take mm-hmm. the little break with the, you know they go with the hitchhiker and you're like okay i can kind of deal with this and then when they're back in the fucking basement and he's smearing shit into an open wound you're like why well, the other dude's hacking up somebody and you're just like i can't know because you don't know where it's going to go from yeah there. like it's like this is too bad like i can't know this i'm done this is not mm. happening <laughs> like you just it, and I think that's the shutdown moment, and I think that's the um, the the horror of August Underground, the legacy of August Underground, is in the fact that it is actually a a test. It's almost like a um, an endurance test. It's a mental mm-hmm. test to see how far you can really push people and a lot of audiences. And you know the boundaries do have to get pushed. We got to put shit in people's faces. Um, and because the, the genius of August Underground is the fact that Fred made it as kind of a, um, with his partner, Alan Peters, he made it with his, uh, his, um, uh, his business partner, his, um, I guess you want to say right hand man back in the day, you know, his co-creator, you know what I mean? Co-writer. Yeah. Whatever. Um, he, um, he did something that is really unique and special and ground and so groundbreaking, um, that it deserves its, you know, its own place in literally there in film history. It does. It's one of those films that is just like, um, it's a cannibal Holocaust. You know, it's one of those things that mm-hmm. is so abhorrent, but it has an artistic drive behind it. And it has this, you know, you should not be looking at serial killers this way. Is the old, it was what I'm all, the ultimate goal of that movie is kind of like, what the yeah. fuck? You know what I mean? Why are you, why would you ever, you know, I understand, you know, the fascination and everything like that, but why would you as an artist want to glorify a serial killer? You know what I mean? You know, what's, or, you know what I mean? Not saying why is in like, how dare you, but more thinking to yourself, why would you do that? Yeah. And a lot of ways too, even years from now, I started thinking to myself, I was like, you know, if Fred made the ultimate serial killer movie, is there a reason to make more serial killer movies? Hell yeah, there is, because there's always room for more stories to be told. But yeah. at the same time, I always will give him credit and say that in 2001. Um, and, you know, whether or not you want to throw Mortem on the list, so we'll say from anywhere from, we'll do the whole trilogy from 2001 to 2007, there was like this really kind of um, unique sort of, film um there was a uh film evolution going on in horror and those were the august underground films and they were going in places that maybe they shouldn't have gone a lot of people could moral could morally argue um it could uh, <laughs> argue morality and almost win in certain circumstances in the august underground films definitely i disagree i disagree completely with almost any um you know anti but unless it's your opinion if you're just like dude that sucks you know what i mean i'll be like dude that's your opinion that's cool you know what i mean whatever yeah but we get you but like you know people can almost like argue things about these films and i think that's the best art and kind of like the same thing with with cannibal holocaust is that you can argue to and the morality of going into the jungle and killing animals i will always answer the same way and i'll say what's the morality of francis ford coppola killing a, a water buffalo in apocalypse now Right. Yeah, exactly. It's like, if you can answer that to me and then, you know, I, we can go somewhere. We can mm-hmm. go to the next step in this conversation. You know what I mean? But, you know, not saying you, you're you know what I mean? but like to the, you know, no, to I, the, I, I, yeah, I know what you mean. 
to for this fake person throwing you know negative vibes my way you know what i mean that's not cool yeah i think it also maybe gets uh the, the short end of the stick and the worst reputation too because um the genre that it's in and you know horror seems like it's always getting shit on by critics critics especially oh yeah especially the uh critics well that's the thing they're critics they got to find something to criticize you know, nobody's going to pay anybody, you know, there's only, t there's two types of critics anymore. There's the critics that give you the front, um, the front cover blurbs, like for your posters, you know what I mean? And then mm -hmm. there's the critics that just tear you apart. I really don't think there's, you know, the modern day, you know, most critics that I've read, and I'm saying the, of the mainstream, I'm saying of the mainstream horror. Yeah. I'm not saying of mm -hmm. the, you know, the awesome people that I know personally who know what the fuck they're talking about and know how to back up their arguments and who are intentionally nice when they I kind of dislike a movie. You know, I'm yeah. not talking about those people. I'm talking about kind of the, the, the head people. There's only those two types of people. And because they have to create some sort of like, um, I think like they have to create a reason for them to be doing their jobs. And if you're not, you know, if you're a critic, your job is to criticize, to be critical of things. So it comes yeah. with the territory. So I get it. But then again, at the same time, if you're overtly doing it because you can't think of anything else to say, then probably you're watching movies wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you can't ever say anything good about a movie, which there are some critics who are kind of like that, who do kind of seem that way. It's like they're one movie a year that they get. You know what I mean? That they kind of think, mm -hmm. oh, this is the masterpiece of the year and everything, everything else sucks. And I'm like, yeah, dude, it doesn't really work like that. I think you're just expecting way too much from your movie going experience. Definitely. I think you also have to kind of contextualize the film and think who's making it, what are they working with, how much are they spending on it, and kind of see what they're able to achieve within their own range as well. I think that's very important because people just, um, I, I know a lot of people, I have some buddies who, um, I have some, I probably have one other good friend who's into extreme horror and the rest of my buddies are more into kind of mainstream horror. And um, if they, they see stuff, you know, you can show them, you know, it's like Tim Ritter shot on video stuff, which I, which I personally love. And then you'll have some people just be like, you know, this is low budget. This is shit. You know, I've, I've tried showing um, same thing. Some people, uh, Brian Pollan's Bone Sickness, with, which I think is a fucking awesome movie. And same thing. Some people, you know, they can't really appreciate it, I guess. They're too used to big budget stuff that when they get to uh, lower budgets and different dialogue, it kind of just throws them off. Yeah, a lot of times I'd show my these movies um, to like a couple that, you know, I'm talking about, you know, um, I don't know, you know, how much money was ever spent on these movies, but I'd show movies like um, what I want to call like um, stuff like Dustin Mills and, you know, Brian Pollan and um, Eric Sandy yeah. and Henry Cattu and uh, or Cattu, I don't know how to say his name, but Akuto or whatever, Henrik's movies, <laughs> I'll say Henry, mm -hmm. um, like. Uh, Phil's even Phil Stevens movies um, w for a weird way too that um, you know and um, Ryan Nicholson movies especially um, a lot of my friends have said is this a porn like they lie at some point like, they're like, <laughs> two minutes they're like is this going to be a porn because, but I'm like dude you got to realize these people made this like keep watching you're going to like this movie like keep watching it you know what I mean? Right. And even uh, stuff like Deadbeat at Dawn, like I'll show them and be like, you realize this movie was made for like no money. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and stuff like that. I'm like, this mm -hmm. is an important film. 
You know what I mean? Like this, there are people, you know what I mean? Know the parameters of what they had to work with. You know what I mean? Appreciate what they did with what they had to work with. Like, that's what I think that um, a good producer, I think that's why what separates a lot of people from um, being able to be a good producer. Uh, I'm talking about a producer and a talent scout. You know what I mean? Are people who go, whoa, what if I gave this dude $100,000 to make a movie? What could he give me? Look what he did with 5,000 bucks. Hell, look what he did with yeah. bucks. You know what I mean? Look at this. Like, and then you talk to him a little bit more and you go back and forth and see if what they know. And then you got to hire another producer who knows all the industry jargon for that director and, you know, the writer and everything like that. And, you know, you go back and forth. I'm just giving a one, for instance. You know, this is, a, you know, one out of a you know, thousand different things that happen. But, like, you know, it happens. You know what I mean? And that's yeah. you know, what those type of people. And, you know, I'll watch a movie like um, from James Bell. And think to myself, I'm like, dude, if you put this in like this weird, like, um, I don't know what you want to call it. Like, I think his movies could be like somebody should pick up James Bell's movies and like kind of like put a amazing like guinea pig type box set together. You know yeah, I mean? definitely. So they do them. Do, do, they do everything themselves. But I'm talking like somebody would be like, you know, here's like five grand. We're going to do an limited thing. Go ahead and say it here. You know what I mean? One of those deals, you know. Yeah. I really think somebody should do, you know, something like that. You know, I think that'd be really cool. Yeah, definitely. And also with a lot of these smaller filmmakers, too, you're talking about how um, they, I mean, if anyone, they should be getting, uh, it'd be good for these producers to throw them some money because these are also usually the people that know the most about the genre and actually love of the genre the most and yeah if you put money into hand, like yeah um if you were to give you know brian pollen a uh, couple hundred thousand dollars i mean the end result would be insane oh yeah and especially too and a lot of these directors too that we're mentioning i'm not calling them old but they're you know they're more seasoned you know what I mean? yeah they're not like you know a 20 year old director who if you gave them a hundred thousand dollars you know, 25 to your 20, 20 to 25 year old director, give them a hundred thousand dollars, you know, 90,000 of it is spent on equipment and they don't have any money to hire actors, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Like really fun, you know, bucking the ball, you know what I mean? Being like, Oh, once we get, you know, these, this person attached, then we'll get more money and stuff like that. And it never happens. You know, it's just yeah. like, it's crazy. Like, you know, but I think like, seeing somebody who has five movies, five feature, like, you know what I mean? Movies that they can hand you and be like, oh yeah, here's my company. This is what I do. You know what I mean? Like let's work yeah. a movie together, you know? So I'm pretty sure, I mean, even too, like, um, what's it? Adam Raymer who made the bunny game. Um, mm-hmm. eventually his movie was just at Sundance. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, that saw that. Oh yeah, dude. Like that's crazy. Like I love that. That's fucking awesome. You know, that's one of the most hard hitting films I've seen. And you know, that's another. You know, you either love it or you hate it type movie. But you know, yeah. I've grown to appreciate it and appreciate the craft that went into it, especially the editing of the film because the editing is insane. Um, but like it's, um, you know, it's uh, the evolution. It was positive for that, so that's awesome. So like somebody, you know, who would see something like the bunny game and be like, wow, this is like the most literally nobody, you know, there's like, there's literally, it's like almost like a, what is that called? The dogma 95 movie where it's like, you literally, it, well, there would be a genre film, but like, it can't be a genre film, but like it would be classified as a genre film, but like you'd have to eliminate the genre elements to it or the promotion to it and kind of have it like being this like found movie that is like, all scenes and just people doing things and shit happening and you know all this different you know it's so minimalistic but at the same time really fucking powerful and i think a good producer would recognize that 
And yeah, definitely. And obviously they did. Yeah, definitely. And that um, that's all the questions I got for you today, but I really want to thank you for coming on and talking. No, dude, thank you for having me. You know what I mean? Uh, what you call it to all the listeners? Uh, I just want to say thank you too. you know, and, you know, keep supporting, you know, indie filmmakers, extreme filmmakers, whatever you want to, you know, sleaze merchants, whatever you want to call us, you know what I mean? It's cool. <laughs> um, but, you know, keep listening to these types of podcasts, keep supporting them. And, you know, it is, you know, the reason we do what we do is because of, you know, people who, you know, we do it what we do because we want to see the shit we want to see. And, but we also do it because yeah. there's people like you who want to see it. You know what I mean? And thank you to you and thank you to, you know, to your listeners. And, you know, it's been an honor and a pleasure, my brother. Thank you, man. It means a lot. I, I appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome, dude. Anytime. Thank you. Hope all is well. I will, well, I'll keep in touch. All right, man. Be cool, brother. You too.